Millions up for grabs. Retailers closing worldwide. Salespeople losing their jobs. Online sales at an all-time high. Your route to financial freedom. Getting best sellers online. Getting a piece of the action. Learn from the top sellers. Become a top seller. Ecom leaders start now. Okay, guys. So today I've got quite a special interview for you. Um, I met someone a few weeks back called Aaron Cordovez, and it was kind of interesting how we got talking, really. Uh, yeah, you guys can see Aaron. He's kindly agreed to, to jump on. Um, I put together a map and graphic to show some of the biggest sellers in, on Amazon in America, on Amazon.com. And Aaron messaged me and was like, dude, what, what are you doing with, with this map? What, what are you doing with all that research? Because I think I'm one of those top 100 sellers. <laughs> and, well, I don't really think I need to say anything more than that. Um, so impressive. One of the biggest sellers on Amazon.com. Aaron, thank, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I, I love this map. And I love, just so you know, I wasn't so much like I think I'm one of those. I knew I was because I follow this thing like religiously. Uh, yeah. Seller ratings, right? Uh, actually, just last week, I talked to the guy who, who made seller ratings. It's an awesome guy. His name is Joe. He's a spectacular guy. Uh, actually, anyway, so I look at that thing all the time and it does, it's a little bit deceptive. I don't think we're on the top 100, 100 on revenue because yeah. it takes into account just the volume. And so it, it's also, the, it really specifically is the feedback. And so, yeah. uh, you know, our average price point is something around $15, $16. And so some people who have average price points of, let's say $100, $200, $300, they might be selling, you know, one fourth of the amount of like um, volume and still have more revenue. And so uh, just full disclosure, it is not a revenue numbers. I don't think we're in the top 100 in revenue, but we definitely will be yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's so impressive. Um, yeah. I, when, when I put together the research to put together that map, Literally, the only sort of index point we could use, like you said, was the reviews and feedback. Uh, and we got all of that from Marketplace Pulse. Uh, I, I know you, you follow and share some of their stuff, don't you? It's a really, really cool website. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Aaron, I've got loads of questions. And yeah. I'm sure people are going to get so much value from this. So thank you again for jumping on. But yeah, no, absolutely. Where, where, where did all this start? How did you get into it? Are you sort of, um, you know, some sort of uh, e-com expert that's just sort of fallen into Amazon? How, how did it all start? No, well, it's, it's a great question. And, and uh, actually on my podcast, I, I talk about kind of the story in more in detail, but it was really a, an accident. Not an accident, but I mean, uh, I never thought we would sell like this much. Let's put it that way, right? Generally, you know, when, when starting my goal, you know, me and my wife, uh, in fact, I, I had started a couple things before I tried to do like uh, this, uh, uh, my original, my first attempt to do actually online sales and online things was when I listened to, uh, Pat Flynn, you might know Pat Flynn from smart yeah. Passive income. So I was, you know, working, I was actually doing nonprofit stuff and I was planning to have a baby and I was like, I read some of his stuff and you know, it was all about like this link building stuff and all this crazy. And I, when I read that, I'm like, well, if I just do this, I'll become, I'll make like so much money and I can whatever. Right. And not just money, but also be able to have influence and like rank on Google and whatever. So, um, I ended up doing something like that and I tried to get into that and I paid for a course. It was like 2,500 bucks. It was not a very good course to be honest. Um, 
I well, or or it was maybe outdated. By the time I bought it, it was maybe like the third round, and it become it hadn't become so effective. This link building, anyway, I failed so bad. I had spent I spent twenty five hundred bucks with money from from my mom. I had to borrow from my mom because I was broke, um, and I spent hundreds of hours trying to build this thing. And in the end, I was making maybe like sixty dollars a month. Uh, and revenue, I, I think my, my peak was like $220 in a month. And that was like, my, own, my, my, my wife was working. I wasn't working. I was trying to make it online and it was a total disaster. Um, and then later on, um, after like, I ended up having to get a nine to five because I had to, like I had to get a regular job uh, because I had a baby on the way and I it wasn't making it online like I thought I would. And then eventually... Uh, once I was uh, doing computer programming and I was making pretty decent money, um, then a friend of mine told me about ASM. So I did start with ASM, Amazing Selling Machine, which a lot of people are familiar with. And it was just the introduction. And my goal was, hey, if I make $500 a month, and I was like, hey, if I do great and I do $1,000 a month, you know, my current salary, you know, is around 100000 So if I add like a 10% on that, that's huge. That's enough to maybe do a vacation or maybe, you know, just money to do anything, right? Just a thousand dollars is freaking amazing. Maybe private school for the girls or I didn't have a girl at the time, but I was going to have a girl and now I have two girls at the time. I was going to have one. Okay. Uh, wow. I said a lot in that, uh, response. Wow, but wow. The goal was to just make an extra 500 bucks or a thousand dollars a month, uh, when I was sold ASM and I go, good, if I invest $3,000 or I guess I paid maybe 5,000, but I got the guy to rebate me a thousand cause I knew he was making 2000 on it. And, uh, so it's 4,000. And if I make a thousand a month, Hey, that's a great investment. And that's how I got started. That was in 2015. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away by that because you were aiming for 500 a month and I know what, sort of level your monthly sales are at now it's a cash flow intensive business model isn't it and oh yeah i i guess as you're scaling up to those sorts of heights um you really have to try and find the balance i mean i'm lucky my two business partners uh they've been you know one of them i've known basically all my life the other one i've known for a very long time we're, we're very good friends and we can keep each other on the straight and narrow and when it comes to cash flow because it's all of us as a collective, we can really help each other, you know, not be too, you know, heavy on risk, but also risking enough to, to grow. But um, yeah, I, I suppose at times, like you said, you were close to becoming bankrupt. And is that just due to Amazon's ever-changing mood, if you like, and swings in team no. rankings and things like that? No. So, okay. Uh, there was two scenarios. Um, one was because, you know, we kind of got excited, my wife and I, right? We, we got to a certain level of sales. I think when we hit a hundred, so basically the first two years, we didn't take a single dollar out of the company. We've actually put in money and I probably took, put money on credit cards and did all the different stuff to like put money in because I knew it, once it was selling, it's kind of a no brainer. If you're selling $10,000 a month, you're going to invest a thousand dollars more to potentially do more. It wasn't like, I would be okay to lose that money, right? And I, I don't encourage people to like max out cards and do whatever, unless you're comfortable losing that money, right? That's an investment strategy, but I, I, for like stock market and whatnot, but it's also for your own, your own business, right? Mm -hmm. Invest the money that you would be okay with if all that money went away, right? 
But uh, at that time I was, you know, making good money on the salary and was just investing money. So I probably put in, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 or 40,000 in the first year and a half, two years of my own money into the business. If not more, I, I wasn't, wasn't very good with accounting. And that's where, that was my original downfall where I was tracking mostly the revenue and not ready the profit um, and seeking like, oh my gosh, like a hundred thousand. And, and so when I reached, when uh, my wife and I, we both, the company reached a uh, hundred thousand dollars in sales per month steadily for, I think it was three months or something. This was, I believe it was 2017 uh, June, um, which is my birthday. And I said, okay, good. And then I, you know, quit my job at that time. And we hadn't taken a single dollar out at the time. So it was like, okay, we need to double down and like make this thing keep growing and make it stable so we can, you know, live off this money. And shortly thereafter, uh, we hired a couple people and uh, ads person. And basically the company, I was seeing the bank account was like not very healthy. Like, how are we going to do this payroll? And, and it was like, huh, it didn't make a lot of sense because we're selling so much. So then I, I at the time, um, I was using a software. Now we created our own software uh, called Samurai Seller that tracks this because it's so important. But at the time, there's a lot of softwares that do this kind of thing, okay? But basically, it's like each product, okay, you have all the referral fees, you put in the cost of goods, uh, then you put in any extra cost, and you can see what's your profit at the end of the day. And our profit after, not even salaries, just the cost of the goods, uh, the ads, and the fees, we were doing something like 300 $300 a day in profit. And I was like, Oh crap, I'm paying the two employees. And let's say they're whatever they were making. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm literally working for like $10 a day. This is absolutely ridiculous. And so at that point I had to do a huge pivot and like, we let go, we let go of everybody, but one person. And I think we had two, we had two or three. I don't remember exactly. Right. So, um, we had an S person, let them go. Uh, a listing person let them go. And then uh, I believe at that time, either we had just hired or we're about to hire my brother. Um, and did not fire him. So, uh, anyway, so we let go of a bunch of people and then what happened, there was two things over hiring and then overspending on ads because since we had this new ads person, the idea was get as much sales as possible. So they were actually spending a lot on ads and it was really bad. So the fact that I wasn't keeping accounting at the beginning, um, it, it's like, okay, if you, if you do that, cause I, I mean, I wouldn't have taken it back cause I am where I am now, but the issue was keeping it in a personal bank account not really keeping track of the profit, not doing a profit and loss statement, not having anything in QuickBooks. Like we were just winging it. Okay. And then by the, when it like, when we were mismanaging it, we didn't realize until probably a month after, or maybe three weeks after like things were going bad is when I really look at it. I really saw it. And so like, wow, we're actually not even making any money. This is actually quite terrible. And so, uh, after we did that, that and did the whole stuff, then I started building a software with an old buddy of mine, um, Brad, who we were, like we need to figure out the ads. One of the, sorry. So I, I, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but essentially no, no, no. it's interesting. Yeah. The, the software, one of the things that the ad person was doing was every change they were doing, they were putting into, um, Airtable, which is like Excel online, right? It's like an yeah. Airtable, like a Google sheets and like putting every change and recording it and like, okay, how was the performance of the ad before and after? And so instead of like, we got rid of that person, then said my buddy, we co-founded the summer seller and we made the computer do that. Cause that's an easy thing. Anyway, so we were just basically becoming smarter. Okay, so uh, Amazon didn't change any algorithm or any keywords or anything like that. We just spent money that we didn't really have for salaries. We spent more on ads and I wasn't paying attention to the profit. Because uh, mm -hmm. if you're only looking at sales, 
you're in big trouble because if you know, you're sque- you know, maybe you had to reduce your price because of a lot of competition, maybe you're overspending because you didn't really look at the profit. And next thing you know, your company's not making money. In fact, a friend of mine, I checked out their account. Um, he wanted some help and the, the profit margin at the end of the day was like 3%, which is terrible for private label is absolutely yeah. horrible, horrible, extremely unhealthy. Um, almost for any business 3%. So yeah, it's super important and like, I can't stress it enough. And that's why we even made the software to keep track of all that stuff. Yeah. I've seen Samurai Seller um, and guys, I'm going to leave, so some links in the description below. I'm going to leave a link to the Ecom Leaders podcast, which is Aaron's podcast. There's a load of really sort of interesting podcast episodes on there and it's all free. So go and check it out. Um, make a note of that. And Samurai Sellers, I'll leave a link to that because although I haven't personally tried it out, Yet at this point, um, it looks to be some pretty sort of handy PPC automation software. Yep, yeah, yeah. And 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 I'll I'll be happy to do a demo with you after this, or you know even do a live demo. Maybe if you have a demo account or not or whatever. But I'd love to show it to you to like yeah. one of the key things that it does now. So it started off as PPC and PPC kind of semi automation. It's not automated at this point because it lets you make all the decisions. But mm-hmm. right now, the thing that I use it like most deeply is the profit per day per SKU because it has all of the stuff broken down by SKU because on Amazon, it's almost impossible to get your spend by SKU. Um, then it has your fees by SKUs, your storage fees by SKU, uh, returns by SKU, all that stuff. Wow. So you actually get a final count, a profit per day, profit per unit, ROI, margin for every single SKU in your catalog. And so when you get like our size, we have literally hundreds and hundreds of SKUs. If you don't track it by SKU level, you might have products that are bleeding money and you don't even know. So that's one a huge thing we're doing, you know, in software. And I'd love to show it to you whenever yeah. you want. Definitely. Maybe we'll jump on another video and then we can have enough time to go through and, and I can show all of our audience here what it's all about. Um, I mean, leading on really from that question, I was going to ask, and I think it's fairly obvious to me. So you're a full private label seller. Have you, have you ever sort of tried any of the other business models like retail um, or wholesale? Sort of. Sort of. So... I did. So I remember when I was like failing like terribly, right? Uh, uh, with Pat Flynn and, and look, I love Pat Flynn. The guy's a brilliant guy, uh, super helpful to so many entrepreneurs and it really got me to try, you know? And so I did try that link building thing, which I failed and I fell on my face and it was absolutely terrible, but I actually made a blog there that I later later on used to launch the private label. So it was still helpful, right? I mean, it was a very tiny launch, but at least I had some, some leverage and, uh, So after I failed that, I kind of went back to Pat and I listened to more of his podcasts and more of his stuff. And I was like, oh, he had someone on his show, uh, something ABC private, ABC wholesale, I forget. Anyway, so it was all about going to like places and getting products at like a 70, 80% discount, big lots, Target, all this different stuff. I did give it a shot. I even downloaded this. They have like this app called like uh, Range or Scout or I forgot. But it was a hunter, scout hunter, something. Anyway, what it did, what it did was that you would go to the store, you'd scan a UPC code, and then it would tell you kind of the BSR, and then it told you, oh, the bestseller rank, right? So how how what how well it sells. And uh, I did. I went to Target. (laughs) This is kind of kind of a funny story. So uh, I ended up going to Big Lots and Target, both, like the podcast kind of said. And I guess I must have opened a Seller Central account. I don't know what happened to it. 
maybe I maybe I still, maybe I have a, a seller account that I don't even know about. That's pretty good because they go for like <laughs> anyway. So um, I went there. And big lots, I didn't find a single thing. I, I probably had scanned like a hundred products. They all sold like terrible or the, there was no profit margin there. And I could barely calculate the profit margin, but I think on the show itself, something like try to sell it for double and everything was not double. So anyway, I didn't figure it out. I did find the one item that was super promising. It was so amazing. I was so excited. Um, and it was a, skate, a snowboard because we're in Florida. Nobody buys snowboards. It's at like this 80% discount rack in Target. Uh, and I got the snowboard. And it was a little bit scratched up, right? But I'm like, who cares? It's like a snowboard. You're going to get it super cheap. So I bought it uh, and I maybe bought another couple items. Anyway, I went and I sent it into FBA and I sent the thing in, packaged it in a random cardboard. Like, I was like, how do I send it in? Like what? Maybe I didn't even use a cardboard. It's a little bit, either I use cardboard or didn't use cardboard. The point is I sent in this, this snowboard. And after a day or two, it sold. And I go, oh, damn, this is awesome. Like I'm partying, like I made 15 bucks or 20 bucks on the sale of the snowboard. And then I want to say a week or two later, we got a return for it. And it said like, this is used, right? So I lost all my money. I lost the referral fee. I lost all this crap. And I go, I hate this business model. Uh, it's absolutely terrible for me. I only had one product that was good. It was exciting. Then they returned it and I, have no, I can't do anything. So I'm not going to sell it used. I lost the money. It, it was, and it was a waste of time. So I, at that point, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to do this reselling, retail arbitrage. There's no good stuff in the stores. And maybe someone can do it better, right? I saw this other guy who has a, a show and he buys shoes. Next time, maybe I'll, uh, ne next time, I don't need wow. to do this, but maybe for fun. Shoes at Marshalls might be a better idea. That's what I saw one video. Uh, but yes, I did try uh, retail arbitrage, which is reselling crap from Target. And I failed miserably at it. I was really bad at doing that. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, we, I don't, I mean, the margins when you, like we were talking about earlier, are actually quite thin on private label. Once you start scaling up, especially as you start bringing people in, when we tried retail online arbitrage, it was, it was quite funny how, how bad it was for us, really. We were, maybe we were just really bad at it, but we had a very similar experience. No snowboards, but just a load of wasted time we wasted a, a good few thousands um trying to do it but we learned a lot from it we actually learned a lot more about amazon um and yes. yeah it was and worth it that's one thing that's good is because you open the seller central account you know you kind of get an idea of what the bestseller rank is at the time yeah. i was so confused right like now bestseller rank, i can tell you left right and center i can tell you like how much it sells i can do all sorts of stuff at the time it was just a number and I was like, if it's less than a hundred thousand, I should buy it. That's all I knew about it. But at least like gets you familiarized with what it is. What is Amazon? How do you sell it? What's FBA? What actually, the fact that you can get returns, like all this stuff was stuff that I was learning. So whether or not I made any money, it was still good. And I know, when, I know several people who started in that arbitrage world did well or didn't do well and then moved on then to private label to then make good money. So That's I agree. Awesome. It's a great experience. So a question I was really sort of looking forward to asking you. So I'm assuming you're full. I meant to ask you're fully sort of FBA now. Do you, yeah, do you, I, so we do have a warehouse. Thing? We do have a warehouse and okay. I want to say we might, we might move like three or 400 units a day through a warehouse. Uh, some of that is, some of that is uh, FBM. 
But yeah, primarily everything we send to Amazon. Just you know, in, in the fourth quarter, the the storage fees are really high, um, okay. and you know, we we just started keeping track of a of a, a metric, um, a statistic we're keeping track of, which is um, storage fees as a percent of revenue. So when when fourth quarter started, it was something like three and a half or almost even four percent of our revenue was being wow. spent on storage. I think our our, our fee for uh, October was maybe $130,000 for storage. Wow. So it's like, I, I, we're used to just sending everything to FBA, but now that we have people that like manage that, I'm like, good, keep track of that. And it's been going significantly down. I think we've dropped it like at least one and a half points, um, which is absolutely spectacular. And so it's just like, you need a person in charge of it. And so yes, everything's FBA, but now we have some warehouses. Actually, it wasn't even our choice now to have warehouses because there's so many restrictions to send in products. So mm-hmm. we have to keep stuff in warehouses. We have a warehouse here in Clearwater. We have warehouses in LA from our, our forwarder. And yeah, and then of course, mo- the vast majority of our sales do happen through FBA. That's awesome. It's so, yeah, to hear the sort of progression of where you've started to where you're now at uh, with, with the warehouse. And yeah, I mean, that, that just sounds so fascinating to me, knowing that you get to that point where you're so big that you're utilizing a warehouse to save because your warehouse fees are that high. But amazing. So one of the things I was looking forward to asking was, and this is probably based on some of the things that I've learned selling on Amazon over the last probably year in particular. So your brand is your, your private label and it's your own brand. Do you have an audience for that brand outside of Amazon? And the reason I ask is because we are at a stage where we're so fed up with almost Amazon deciding <laughs> if our product is okay, you know, to stay at the top. And I understand it's, it really does depend when a competitor comes in with a better product offering, it's only right that they should knock us off. I, yeah, I good, good. Good. Yeah, that's true. But the so- brands that have an audience outside of Amazon, uh, do tend to do quite well on Amazon. So, yeah, I was interested to know, and if so, which of those audiences is, is sort of your favorite traffic source for Amazon? And how do you use that to help you on Amazon, if so? So, I guess the, the first thing I just kind of want to mention is, like, um, Amazon definitely can do changes, right? And it could affect your business negatively. Right. But the idea, and if you, if you read like the values of Amazon or whatnot, customer obsession, all this stuff, like they're making all these changes for the customer. And it seems really kind of sad if it messes you up, but generally speaking, I mean, we've, we've just been going up because we focus also on that same customer experience, having a better product, having the conversion rate. You know, we don't do any sort of giveaways, product giveaways. We don't do search, find, buy. We don't do any sort of rebates because what's happening is when you're, when you're mixed in and maybe it's not the exact right answer, but this is what I, what I thought of when you mix in these fake metrics to Amazon, what happens is they're going to, they, they want to figure that out and they want to only have the absolute best natural conversion rate showing up at the top of search. So over time, they're going to get better and better at detecting these things. And you're going to be better off if you just do surveys to your customers. What is the best main image? Test out different images, add better video, keep improving your conversion rate because the ultimate thing that gets you ranked is your click to rate and conversion rate. And that's it. You know, 
And then of course you could send fake triggers to it. But what that does is that when the algorithm adjusts, if they did a good job, people who are doing that are going to go down in the rankings. So the ultimate sort of like way to fight back is to keep it as clean as possible. And so again, that's why we do the ad software and the ad stuff and the launches and ads only launches. And that's what we preach all the time, because if you play that long-term game with Amazon, they're going to reward you. So then back to like, do we sell off Amazon? Um, we do very slightly, very, very slight. I want to say about 6% of our sales are on other marketplaces and our website combined or somewhere in that range. Um, and international Amazon is now picked up also to be around like five or 6%. Um, so we're, we're getting up to like that 15%. That's not Amazon us. Amazon us is the vast, vast majority of our sales. Um, and yeah, we are working on like our Shopify site. We are working on, you know, we just added some email sequences, you know, we're adding, trying to get traffic there. We just started sending some Google ads there. Slight face, we do Facebook ads to Amazon. Um, so we do run uh, somewhat aggressive uh, Facebook to Amazon, which by the way, does work very well um, if you do it right. You know, we have, I want to say, you know, we have videos of maybe like several hundred thousand views and stuff to send people to Amazon. And I know the biggest acquirer of Amazon companies, Thrashio, they do the same thing. I see their ads all the time uh, where they're sending people from Facebook to Amazon. Uh, Amazon loves external traffic. So while we are, you know, 95%-ish Amazon, uh, we do send some traffic from off Amazon, very little. We do also have several people in Venezuela. I am from Venezuela, so we have a team in Venezuela, which we used to do influencer marketing, Instagram stuff. We give away products for free. We get videos. So, um, and what, with no rebates, I mean, we literally shipped them the product. This is, and they actually put, you know, sponsored by our brand in all the posts. So it's very open, um, FTC compliant, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, we do some Instagram, we do a little bit of the website, we do some Facebook, uh, but really 95% of our sales are Amazon in one way or the other. That's amazing. So yeah, that's really, really interesting to hear. And the fact you use Facebook as a traffic source. So when you're using Facebook in that way, you're using good creative. So influencers, people that the target audience would resonate with when they're buying that product and you're using videos and you're just driving the traffic straight from Facebook. Are you using like a buy one, get another product free? None uh, of that. You're just going full. Yeah. Just yeah. like just straight, just straight videos. Um, you know, we have a, a person who's kind of a, their specialty is Facebook to Amazon. So they use like, uh, there's a software thing called Zon tracker that kind of gives you some conversion data. We've tried Amazon attribution, which if you're brand registered, you, you can have, but it's the data seems to be really bad and not really okay. working. So Amazon's working on making that better. Uh, so it's hard to track the sales, but you kind of just, okay, when it's on, we get this much sales. And then, you know, when it's off, did the sales go down and you, it's, you're kind of winging it um, really, but uh, we just literally say like, buy the product on Amazon. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Go buy and full price. It sort of sounds like you, most of your work goes into the product research and product offering stage. So are you doing things like looking at, say you want to sell a product and it's, it's been highlighted as a potential opportunity. You'll look to see maybe what other products people might buy with that, putting together things like bundles. Um, is that a, does that play a strong part of the game or how are you improving? 
I haven't had a really good experience with bundles, to be totally honest. I guess not, we have maybe one prepackaged bundle that sells well, possibly two, you know, out of like a few hundred SKUs. Um, and they do sell pretty well. So it's not a bad idea. However, what we have that, what we did at the very beginning um, was in the search term report, which you can download from Amazon from your um, ads reports. There you can see where you're being shown. And what's interesting is like, we had a product that was getting sales for a, pro for a product that it wasn't it. Like, for example, you're selling a pen yeah. and the search term report, you had some sales on like, I don't know, like a drawer organizer. Uh -huh. Well, it was really strange. So clicks and even sales. And I go like, this makes no sense. So I'm like, well, why don't I just make a drawer organizer? Like if my pen can sell for drawer organizer, yeah. then a drawer organizer definitely can sell for drawer organizer. So we've, we've done some product sourcing on that way from like things that people are searching that for some reason we're showing up. Um, and we have also seen like the frequently bought together. So if you go to Amazon and you scroll down and you see like customers who bought this also bought X. Uh, we've also sourced products in that way. So like if you're selling a pen, they're like, well, people also buy a notebook. Well, we go source a notebook because then you can, you know, you hopefully can take that same spot and frequently bought together. You can take those like complimentary ads in the, in the auto section, for example, with a complimentary product rather than your competitor. So we've done some sourcing based on that. Um, especially at the very beginning, like that was yeah. definitely like, what's the next product you should do? Uh, to stay in your brand, just go to frequently bought together. And if you're selling a pen, it's a notebook. Like, why don't you do a notebook? It seems to make sense. That's cool. So, yeah, you're, you're, I, I take it other products you're sourcing, are they from China? Are you importing or are they a lot from the US? Are yeah, we're, I, we're probably, I haven't done the exact math, but it's probably 90% China, if not more. Um, Same as us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we have, we have some products from Mexico, uh, Taiwan, um, where else? Oh, US, we're starting to do a couple of US. So we are, we are doing some other ones. We've gotten quotes from Japan that just was not very good. Uh, we've gotten samples from Turkey, it was not very good. I mean, again, it's, I'm sure there are good places there. And I even tried to source a couple of things in Venezuela. It's just very tough to even export from there. Um, so yeah, primarily China. I mean, I've been to the Canton Fair I went uh, on a, a trip called China Magic with a good friend of mine, Athena Severi. She leads that trip. Right now, there's no, there is no China trips, right? Yeah. Um, but when it's open again, we'll probably go back. We're planning to go this year again. That's awesome. So it, it sounds, it's an amazing insight. So thanks for sharing that with us. And when it comes to China, um, are you having the factories, are you, because of the volumes you're doing, the, maybe the relationships you've built, are you spending a lot of time not selling copycat products, but taking a product that is doing well on Amazon. And how are you tweaking that product? Are you doing anything to it? Or a lot of the time you're just making sure it's good quality? That is a fantastic question. And in fact, um, I talk about this kind of a lot, which is you need to have a reason for the person to buy from you instead of your competitors. Always. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and uh, clearly for a lot of new guys, like if, if there's newer people listening to this, a huge mistake I've seen people make that are newer is that they make a product that's exactly like everybody else. And that might be fine actually, but check this out. Let's say everybody's selling, you know, a pen. Okay. And everybody's selling this pen. It's a kind of a fancy pen. Everybody's selling it for 19.99. Okay. Now you come in, you make the pen 
and it's the same exact pen. And then you come in and you go, well, at 19.99, I only make two bucks. I want to sell it at 24.99. So now you have the same pen as everyone else and you have a higher price. And then after a while, you notice you're only selling one unit every five days. And then two months in, you go, crap, I'm going to pay storage fees. And then you lower your price to 21.99. Then you go, no, 19.99. Then you end up lowering your price to like 9.99 just to liquidate it and lose less money. And then you go like, sorry, no. If you have the same product as everyone else, and some people might hate on me because it's like maybe bringing the market down, but if you are not going to innovate, you better at least be the best price, you see? Because there's then a reason for someone to buy your product. So you need to have a reason, whether it's something that someone can see, which is going to be you have maybe a different variation, you have a different color, you have a different size, you have a different model, or you have the best price, or you're including something as a bundle, like an extra thing. We have a pen, but it also includes like a refill. No one else has a refill. I remember one time there was <laughs> some random stuff, like you saw a pen and it comes with like a fork or something. There's some people who do like these random things and I've seen a few of them sell. I don't recommend that as a strategy, but there needs to be some reason. And the problem too, with like lowering your price later is that when you first launch, you have the most visibility. Amazon's going to give your product a try. You have this honeymoon period, right? Which is like mm-hmm. the period where you can actually rank fastest and best because their Amazon's giving you a shot. So if you like want to have high margins at the beginning and you don't want to go with a lower price, you're going to kill your honeymoon period and then you won't have a chance to get back up with a low price. So what I recommend is, yes, you can tweak the product, right? And I really think color is a great thing to change to improve a product. Yes, you could do a model. We have a couple of patents. Okay, so we do invent some things. There are, there are some good firms. I, I want to, I forget the, we used the one firm for one of the stuff and I was going to give the name, but I forgot it at this exact moment. Anyway, so you can have like a design firm. You can have a different color. And what's also, you could also do the same. If you found a good factory, they'll have catalogs and only products that are not yet on Amazon. So if you're selling a pen and then like they have this crazy, maybe not a Christmas pen, but maybe they have like, I don't know, a pen that, that has triple refills or so whatever, but it's yeah. our new model. So a lot of times these factories, they are innovating, but those products don't come off the shelf because if they have, let's say a garlic press, their newest model of garlic press, all their current customers are, are happy selling the ones they used to sell and nobody takes that new model. So an easy way to innovate innovate, right? You're not really creating a new product, but take something that the factory is trying out and you try it out, right? That could be one way to innovate. And the bottom line is though, whether you're creating a new product, um, totally like you're using a new model or you're literally inventing a product, um, or you're, if you're launching the same product, maybe you could just change the color, but if you do something that's good, um, but don't make it too crazy, like sell something that people are buying, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And then if you are going to do a super like plain old copycat, which we do, by the way, we do have products that everyone else has, like everybody has. But if, if you're, sellers? Uh, what's that? Are they good sellers? Yeah, some of them, some of them, not all of them, but if you, oh, we have one that probably sells, I want to say 150 units a day. And it is, it literally has existed in the market for 20 years. The same exact thing. It's the same that everybody has sold, but for whatever reason, we're able to get it like number four in the subcategory and it's the same. There's nothing different about the product, nothing, but we started off at a lower price than everybody else. We do the good ads. We do have the video for it. 
you know, you're going to need to like, maybe the thing you do is that yours is similar. Everybody else has a low price at the beginning. You have a video. The other people don't have a video. The images they have are terrible. Your images are pretty good. But if you have like someone who has 10,000 reviews, their images are amazing. They have a video and they have like a 19.99 price. And you're going to try to come in at 25.99 with no video, bad images and no reviews. You have no chance. So you need to have a reason for people to buy from you. That's what I pretty much tell anybody. Love it. That's yeah. So insightful. And a question I had, and I wonder if you deal with China a lot like we do, have you struggled with the compliance side of things? So we found some good suppliers and over in, I think in Europe, some things are a bit stricter. It seems when it comes to certification, testing reports, one of the problems we found as we've gone along is finding a factory that you can trust. Okay. You can do that. You just need to speak to a lot of them, but finding someone that is, can provide the correct certification and the right supporting compliance paperwork and all that stuff. Do you, do you guys struggle with that so much or do you use a partner to help with inspections and things like that? So we've, yeah, we, we inspect every product, um, every shipment actually. And in some cases where if we've ever had a problem with the, with a product, uh, we only have one product like this right now where we inspect every single unit. So generally, uh, I'm sure, I'm not sure how, how many inspection companies you're using or if you are, but there's like a standard thing. It's called AQL maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of like you're expected to maybe inspect 3% of the units or 2% or 5%, something like that. And then you find the errors and you fix them or not. For some products, we literally inspect every single unit. Um, because either, you know, we're a premium price. You want to make sure it's a very, very good product and we don't have no returns, no problems, no scratches, no nothing. So we do that on some products and typically speaking, you know, we're not selling creams or supplements where it's, you know, a lot of restrictions and like things like that. So it really depends on your category. Um, for example, you know, if you're in electronics, there's a lot more certifications, um, yeah. so, you know, our category doesn't have that many restrictions. And in fact, we do inspect every product and we check it for. That's cool. Yeah. Interesting. And that's, that's going to be uh, literally the meeting I've got with my business partners tomorrow. I'm going to be like, right. Uh, no, that's, that's really, really insightful. So thank you for that. Um, the next question I've got, and I'm not sure if we're going to run out of time or what, I think we're going to be all right, but I've just got. A few of these <laughs> questions. So you've, you've almost answered this, but what does your product launch process look like? I'm guessing I've got an idea of it now. And what does your review acquisition strategy look like? Yeah, um, so, mm-hmm. it's definitely changed throughout the years. Okay, when I started, and this might come as a shock to some people uh, who are maybe starting now, but in 2015, when I started, it was totally legal, kosher, perfect to literally pay for reviews. That was totally okay. 2015, right when we started, it was kind of, I think we were in it for a few months and then it, it, it got banned, but they called it the unbiased review, right? Uh, Amazon would let you give a product for free. Um, and maybe even pay, I forgot if you can pay them. I don't remember the exact rules, right? But there was like a a website called thomason.com where you could just say like, okay, 40 people, influencers, right? Guys who don't really have any sort of influence necessarily in terms of like a following, but they have 10 followers or 20 followers, but they would get the product for free, maybe get a couple bucks and then they would guarantee to leave you a review on Amazon. This was totally in rules, right? So at the time, you know, 
we what's well, it's funny because now people like if you could do that people will probably pay literally millions of dollars of reviews at the time i was like oh, we can afford like 20 reviews so our very first launch had 20 paid reviews or or unbiased reviews right mm-hmm. and that was the original uh <laughs> original strategy and that was cool you know what i mean because that was totally culture at one point all those reviews most of them got swiped or deleted and that no longer became a thing and they've had there's been so many evolutions so I'll tell you what we're doing right now, because um, now you, you can't do that. And yes, uh, one thing that's very popular right now is doing like um, rebates. Okay, so, and we had done some of this as well. Like as the times were changing, we went into that. And so at one point, Amazon, like they know what's happening. None of this is a shock. And so once we had a notification, we go, our size, our business is big enough, we're going to cut all this out. And we did. And so, um, it is a very common thing because it's very hard to trace theoretically, but it's not really guys. Like uh, I, I have to, I have to touch on this just a minute because pro- I want to say from people that I know at least well over 50% of people launch this way with like the many chat. And it is very, very common, which is like you go on Facebook, you put up an ad, you spend $10 a day, $20 a day, $50 a day, whatever it is. You find someone, you say, Hey, you want this product for free product testing, blah, blah. And of course, you don't pay them for the review. You don't require a review. You know, you're not like, you don't not saying give me five bucks, you know, I'll pay you five bucks to review, but you're giving them for free. And after you ask for them for the review, the issue is a lot of times people do that for brand new products. And when you launch a brand new product and then immediately has all these reviews, Amazon sees that and they see the percentage too of like percentage of purchases to review. If you're having more than like 5% of reviews for orders, they're going to flag you. And sometimes they flag you a year later, two years later, six months later, whatever, but generally they will flag you. So again, there's ways to like make it less obvious and, you know, keep track of the percentages, but at least, so, you know, they do look at that stuff. So at least if you're going to, if you're going to do that, don't give away hundred units and ask for reviews and then don't take organic sales. Like, please don't do it that way at the bare minimum. Now, this is what we do back to after, after all that whole speech. Um, basically we try to have an extremely optimized listing. Uh, one thing that's very important is your main image. We focus big on the main image. Um, and if you test it, so you can use a software, you can email your own list. If you're using, you have any guys on your list, you can also use a service like PicFu, um, which we, I was almost going to start a company like PicFu, but um, that was a lot of work. So basically, but you show like two images to a customer. You can even ask mm-hmm. for my members or whatnot. And you say like, which image do you like more? And you use your competitor's image and then use your image. And then you have to keep changing your image until more people want to buy your product than the competitors. Cause what happens is when you start off, you have no reviews, they have reviews. Okay. Uh, they have that. So what you can't do is have worse reviews and the worst image and the worst price. So what you can control is make sure your image is better by surveying and asking your customers. This is a super key thing we do. We do not launch any product until we've actually surveyed that image against the comp- main competitor image and we make sure ours wins and we try to win by a, a margin of let's say more than 15%. Uh, sometimes we kill it. Sometimes we kill it. Like, you know, 30 people picked ours and like three people picked theirs, right? At that point, your launch will probably be good. So first that's a, uh, you need to have that. The next thing is of course the, re- all the listing images, the keyword research, all that stuff. Like that's pretty standard. Most places will teach you about that. Um, so you have the keywords, you have a good title, you have the, you know, top keywords in the title. 
your image is winning. And then we pretty much launch at very close, if not at break even. Maybe we'll launch at, you know, very small margin. Um, but depending on the market, we want to be the lowest price if possible. Um, and then we also want to have an image that wins. And then we do ads. And, and so um, on our YouTube channel, I think Samurai Seller, I want to say, uh, we have some launch strategies on there. On the podcast, I'll talk about it. Um, but the launch strategy, I mean, we, it's a whole, that's like a whole talk, right? So yeah. we do ads only, but essentially the key thing, if like you take home nothing else, is that you need to survey your image. You need to have a better image and then a good reason to buy either a color that people like more, a price that people like more. And if you have the main image better and the price better, okay, or something that's appealing, then all the piece that you're missing is the reviews and then you eventually get them. So as long as you move the sales uh, nowadays for reviews themselves, we basically use the review button. So there's plenty of services, you know, Zon Master, uh, Managed by Stats. Uh, there's a lot of guys who you just select it on, they'll just request reviews from all your customers between five and 30 days. Um, you probably know about that, right? So it just requests reviews. Um, I don't know if that's in the UK, but definitely in the US you could do. And um, yeah, so with that review button and then getting sales, you'll get the reviews. There you go. Yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah, no, thank you. Um, so like you said, that could be a whole talk in itself, but that, I mean, the image thing to me is a huge takeaway. Um, it really, really is. So pick foo, I'm gonna remember that. Um, and P-I-C-K-F-U dot com. So that's the way you split. And I remember, I think uh, I remember Will from Startup Bros. I we spoke to him a little while ago. Um, we had a had a talk, and uh, he was talking about that um, as a really effective tool. So I must yeah. make a note. Yeah, and I and I don't actually use them. I use another one, which is kind of like a, a secret tool. I want to say that it's like internal yeah. and it's not not open to the public. So I recommend yeah. you. But the best is if you can use your own audience, right? If you have any sort of insert or somewhere on your email list or something like that, if you have a ManyChat, if you're using ManyChat at all, like you can ask your own customers and that that's awesome. And we've done SurveyMonkey. You can make the survey in SurveyMonkey, send it out and then they can pick it. So using your own customers is the best because they're the guys who are gonna buy. If you're keeping in brand, rather than use this random pool of people in PickFu, uh, which is a good you know second alternative, but if you yeah. can use your own people, that would be obviously ideal. It's a good point. We've, we, yeah, we've got uh, yeah, medium size, you know, a couple of thousand people on each of our brands as many chat. So mm -hmm. that's a really good point. So when you're looking for new products, what sort of benchmarks are you looking for? So, you know, what sort of unit sales where you want to be hitting a day? What sort of many profit per day are you looking at? And following on, when would you decide to just discontinue a product? How mm -hmm. low would it have to get mm -hmm. for you? Great, great question. So uh, I think that we run things very differently to most companies. And um, for us, the main thing we look at is for cash flow. Cash flow is a big deal for us because when you're growing a lot, like cash flow is a big, big, big issue. So the main metric that we're looking for is the ROI, right? The return on your investment. And so we have a bunch of grids and we use Airtable and we use all different stuff where you input like your costs, the dimensions, all the stuff, and then it'll tell you like, what is your ROI? Um, so basically what that means is like, if we're paying, let's say $5 for a product, we want Amazon's payout to be at least $10 because that $10 covers the original $5 product cost, and then you made $5. So you had to invest 
and you make $5 profit. That's a hundred percent return. So pretty much any product that we're sourcing now, we're maybe changing a little bit for more expensive products because we're getting into bigger items. But typically, you know, around our price range, we definitely want at least 100% ROI. That is a metric we're looking for more than anything. Because if your ROI is, let's say, 30%, um, it will, if you grow that product, you will need loans to sustain the growth, period. And it's yeah. a huge, huge issue. And we do, we do do loans. I'm not afraid of loans. If you listen to my podcast, you'll see I like to talk about that stuff all the time and how to get yeah. funding and all that stuff. But uh, ROI is the biggest metric. And then in terms of the, the sales per day and all that stuff, um, we're very conservative. Okay. So pretty much a hundred to $150 of sales per day is all we need to want to launch a new product. So, um, and, and the reason for that is, and, and I'll do some math, right. And this is kind of our, our strategy, which not everybody follows, but if a product is $50 profit a day, it's really the profit, right? Cause I try not, I try not to think too much about the revenue and the sales. I want to look at like, what is the bottom line? Like, you know what I mean? This, it, this yeah. particular activity is not a charity. Um, you are bringing, you should be giving good service. You should have good products. You should have happy customers. That's all a given. But at the end of the day, like you company should be making profit. And so we want a product to have at least $50 profit per day. So at $150, that's a 32% margin at a hundred dollars. That'll be a 50% margin, which, very, very few of our products have 50% profit margin. Anyway, if it does $50 profit a day, and if you count like 13 months, meaning like December is two months, you're going to do approximately, I want to say $20,000 of profit for that product in a year. So that's like, for me, $20,000 is a lot of money. Like I'll work for $20,000. I will, I will do some stuff for $20,000, right? Maybe not now. Yeah, I still, no, definitely still not. We, yeah, and no, we okay, push yeah. it so hard. We pushed it for us. One yeah. product getting to that $50 a day. By the way, we do bonuses for our people. We do all sorts of different stuff when we get to that $50, $50 per day because it's a huge achievement. It means that that product is $20,000. And even if the administration fee and employees and all that stuff, let's say it takes half, okay? Yeah. That means that $10,000. 10 products is 100000 $100, Hundred yeah. products, that's a million bucks. Hundred products, a million bucks a year, even at that rate, that's fantastic. I mean, come on, it's a million, it's a lot of money. So yeah. uh, if you follow that same formula, $50 profit a day, you know, let's say you had a thousand products, right? Yeah. That would be $50,000 profit every day. So that would be okay, <laughs> exactly. You see what I'm okay. saying? I'll be fine. So, so for me, um, a lot of people are like, well, I want to go these big products and hero and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, hundred dollars a day in sales. That could be just fine. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome. That and that again, will, it's just great to hear from the mouth of someone that is doing so well. Um, and has obviously scaled this into a big time business. It sounds like you've got a lot of the same principles or maybe we've got, a few of the, the principles in minds that you've got. So that's really encouraging. So if there's two more questions, sure. and then, then we're finished and I'll let you get back to your, your busy, busy day. <laughs> that's uh, just I fun. I, I, I like, I like, uh, I like doing these types of things. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's awesome. I, I absolutely love it. I could do it for, for hours, literally. Uh, but my fiance will, will be, 
probably. I mean, it's about half eight here at night now. Oh, she'll yeah, be, yeah. She'll be, hmm, where are you? No, no, okay. she's fine. So if you were starting on Amazon from scratch tomorrow with 10K, what would you do? Sure. So, and then just as a note on that, uh, our original investment was around, was less than 5,000. So ASM, I want to say it was, I think we paid 4,000 and got a thousand dollar rebate. So it was like maybe 3,000, something like that. Um, pretty sure that was the cost 4,000, 1,000, 3,000. And then our first product cost was around $900. And then let's mm -hmm. say with design logo, we're probably around 5k all in. So just, just as a point, we actually did start with less than 10,000. So, um, okay. If I was starting today with 10,000, what I probably would do, um, I would pretty much do a very similar thing to what I did originally, which is like research a lot of products, spend your time, you know, go around and like search a lot of products and put it into an Excel doc or an Airtable or a Google sheet or whatever you want to do. Put the product, put the cost, put like what it's going to cost you to, you know, the, the fees and the fees are a little bit hard to calculate, but even like product cost versus fee, your, your margin, even if you didn't take into account like the fees, as long as they're similar size products, the fees will be similar. So similar product, all the product costs get, get, get quotes from Alibaba, at least some basic one, like a very first quote. And just immerse yourself into the products until you find one product that's like, wow, this seems like a good opportunity. There is a reason for people to buy this product from me. Maybe everybody has, you know, this product and you have one that has like a cushion or something that no one else has, or maybe whatever it is, but you're going to look and look and look and look and look and, and spend time to research the market and get familiar with who's selling, how's that product going, make sure it's not a fad. See like long-term and mm -hmm. essentially what, what I was looking for was like a product that I felt, and this was kind of a fluke and we haven't always done this, right? It's not all the products, but luckily our first product, which is still selling extremely well today, um, we did do this. We found a product that was sort of undervalued that the top seller, the quality was not as good as this other one, which at that time was maybe like number 20 in the subcategory, but the product was just superior, but the seller didn't do such a great job marketing it. So it's kind of like I could do a service as a seller by getting this product, which was functionally superior to market it better and get it to the top. And so you're just looking for some sort of opportunity, meaning you could do a service, right? you could bring a product that's better. You can bring better colors. You can do a better size. You can do something that doesn't, um, you know, something that lasts longer, something that's more durable, whatever it is. And, and have a good margin on it. What's interesting is when we sourced the first product, the, the calculator for the fees was broken. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you know, but right in, in the managed inventory, it has a fee preview, right? Mm -hmm. And up until very recently, the free preview included your, your price and not the sale price. Ah. I think they fixed it. But like, let's say you're selling a product, uh, whatever, for $10. The referral fee is 15%. It's $1.50, right? But if your, your price was $30 and your sale price is $10, the referral fee would show as $4.50 rather than $1.50 because it would use that your price figure. Uh, I, anyway, it's a little, the point is that Amazon was giving the preview being extremely like way higher. So when I was doing that list myself, a lot of them were like negative profit because I was, I had like these higher prices. So anyway, the point is I didn't really, I was confused 
in a way that made it seem like I was going to make way less profit. So eventually I picked a product that had an extremely high margin because I was actually confused. So it, it's kind of like a funny story. Like I didn't, it's good. Cause yeah. I was like, well, I'll make like two or $3 per unit. Wow. That's amazing. But in fact, it was like $8 a unit because my, <laughs> it was ridiculous. The point is that I, I didn't stop until I got something that was profitable. And I was, I was, it was crazy. So it took me a while to find something that would fit the criteria that I thought would be like, I can at least make some money. Yeah. Um, so if you're hard on yourself and you keep looking, you probably will find something that you think you can make some decent money. There's an opportunity in the market. And then if I had that 10 K, I would probably spend uh, most of it on, on product, to be honest, like probably, I wouldn't put 10K in one product. I would probably put on an original launch, $2,000, $3,000 for the first order uh, to give yourself room. If that fails, then you still have the next 3K for another one. If that one fails, then you still have another 3K for the other one, designs, et cetera. So I would probably spend around two to 3,000 on like the first order, try to do is something valuable, either variations or something like that. And then, uh, I mean, just launch and just get up there as quick as possible, you know, because so many people will buy a course and then never launch a product. So yeah. just how that I failed with the snowboard, I think that if people fail with their first private level product, they still learn something. And then the second launch can do better, right? And if not, the yeah. second launch doesn't do well, then the third launch. But don't like chicken out, right? There's a, what is it? If you don't quit, you can't lose. That applies to Amazon like anywhere else. If you do yeah. not quit, you will figure out a way to sell. Because the moment you quit, that's the time when like you've now picked your path to not sell. But if you, if you continue to go to sell and sell and sell, it might take you a year. It might take you 10 years. I don't know how long it'll take you, but if you do not quit, you cannot fail. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Um, my last question, and I promise this is the last one. Sure. And then I'll leave you alone. No. Um, can you tell us about a product that was a complete fail? Ooh, complete fail. Can you? Uh, sure. Sure. If you can't. I can. Maybe, no, maybe. I can. it's all I can. of them. Maybe I can. Well, check this out. So, check. so uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So I hope we, it's one product we've discontinued. Now. Actually, we probably saw some in the warehouse in there. Quite terrible. Um, Try and think of one that's not going to give away your brand. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's, 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 okay. So here you go. So this is, it's a travel bag. Okay. Um, actually for your car seat. Okay. So okay. when you're traveling, uh, international, whatnot, you, and, and I guess the product died now also right now, no one's traveling. So, uh, it's good. I'm yeah. not selling those. Uh, but anyway, if you put the car seat in the bag, um, and this is a great lesson. That's this really good thing. And I, and I mess this one up and I use this example all the time when I make decisions on changing products, the product was maybe, I don't know, eight, eight bucks or seven bucks. It was kind of expensive product. And we weren't making a lot of money on it, but we were selling and it was doing, it was doing okay. And I wanted to save that $1. Okay. I wanted to save that $1 because I'm like, man, the cost is seven. And like the supplier we had didn't seem to be really nice. I, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't want, I, anyway, I ended up in at the Canton fair. I found a person who quoted us 550 or 580 or something. And the material was totally different. And it seemed so much more durable. Like I touched it as like, this thing won't break. It's like $2 less or dollar. Like we're going to change it. So then what happened is we had a 4.5 star rating, 4.6, I want to say something like that. And I was like, good, we're changing it. So then uh, we just sent it in 
and we changed all of them. We sent it in and then the reviews started coming in absolutely terribly, horribly. People hated this bag. Uh, wasn't flexible. It broke more, but I'm telling you, if you touch the product, I would have bet $10,000. Well, I did. I did. I bet like $10,000 actually that this product yeah. was going to work well because it was, it was thicker. It was stronger. I mean, it was amazing. Everybody hated it. It ripped very easily. It was a disaster. And so, um, the starting, I mentioned went down to 4.2. Once it got to 4.2, the thing stopped selling and uh, it was gone. So I, we lost all the money. We did probably in the end, we might've been break even because yeah. we didn't make money in the first couple orders. But what happened is that this reorder destroyed the star rating, killed the product, never was able to sell that again. And um, it was to improve the product, right? So there's so many times when you, if you try, if you're going to improve a product, change the ASIN, right? Make a new product as a variation and then do it. Because in realis realistically, if you're changing it, it's not the same product. So change it, make it a variation. So you can, if you want to go back, you can always go back to your original ASIN with your original reviews. Uh, because no matter how much you, how good you think the product is, once it actually goes up, the customers will tell you what they think about it. Cause it's not what you think it is, what they think and how it works for them. So that product really bombed and it's, it's, it's crap right now. I love it. Well, we can laugh sort of because well, you're doing really well now. If yeah, you were, yeah, exactly. maybe, it would, maybe it wouldn't be very funny. Maybe we'd be just quite, yeah. we'd feel quite no, sad no, about it. That product funny enough too. We also, there was a like, and so a, a full confession here back, like at the very beginning, uh, there was this article from Amazon that they said something like the image. Uh, once you upload your image, then it's free to use from affiliates and this. And basically they said like, once you upload your image to Amazon, it's not yours anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm an Amazon affiliate. Like I'm an affiliate of Amazon. And yeah. so I actually took a few images from competitors and then like just use the image. People had done it to me and then I, I was just yeah. like, cool. And uh, people like they wrote to me and I'm like, look at this. And I sent the quote from Amazon. Oh my God. I was like, totally like, this is totally legit guys. Like Amazon says I can use your image. And anyway, so I, we got legal notices and this. And anyway, uh, later on, it became much easier to shut people down once you have brand registry for someone using your image. And you know, we shut yeah. down people using our image and like, they're like, what do you mean? You can't use your image. Like, anyway, I've been there. Um, but at the time that product as well, we had gotten like an infographic from someone else and then we were contacted and they're like, how could you use infographic and this? And it was someone else in the Amazon space. It got messy. The thing was messy as well. So, uh, I'm glad that, that we're not even doing that anymore. Um, to be honest. So, and it was such a good learning thing because now whenever I am thinking about changing a product, uh, I'm like, no, we're, if we're changing anything, put it on a new ASIN. And then if you feel like it and that new ASIN does well, then you can maybe send it in on the original ASIN, which again, with all the terms of service that Amazon has, like it's interesting. It says if you change anything, I believe Amazon even says if you change the packaging of a product, you need to put it on a new ASIN. Uh, pretty much nobody follows that. Um, and I've actually talked to Amazon on the phone. I'm like, listen, you know, we have this product. We changed, let's say the way it worked. And they're like, yeah, you're supposed to do it. But Amazon on the phone, they're like, but you don't have to, you don't have to do an ASIN. So anyway, yeah. Uh, it's all at your own risk if you're going to change ASIN or not. But like, if you're changing the product, absolutely 100% change ASIN. Uh, that was a really, really good lesson that I learned. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. And you've been so generous with everything you've shared with us. So yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity to say thank you for taking some time out of your day to jump on 
Thanks for reaching out to me and asking about the map, because otherwise, I well, we probably wouldn't have got talking. Um, yeah, that was brilliant. And, that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, we, we should do some more of these in the future. We can keep in touch, and we'd obviously love to have you back on and get some more of, of this insight from you uh, for free, because it's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, make sure in the description below, uh, you check out Ecom Leaders Podcast. Uh, it's a really good one full of loads of useful, valuable lessons in there and the Samurai Sellers software, which we will jump on and do a demo video at some point. Also guys, if you haven't done already, subscribe. Subscribe to the channel because I don't know why you haven't done that if you haven't done already and you're, you're still watching at this point. This is a long video. So <laughs> Good point guys, absolutely subscribe to Nick and then feel free to check out the stuff. Uh, hope this all helped and um, see you guys later. Aaron, you're the man. Thank you very much. Beep. <laughs>